Far from others. An audio medium unlike anything you've ever heard before. The pinnacle of sound experience. Jacked and canned. Featuring John Tessman and Colby Tyler. A place where you will get the information you crave. And hear about the topics that you love. Presented by themselves. Coming to you from the basement, bar, and the bedroom. Sponsored by no one. Jack and Cam. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special sports roundtable of the Jack to Can Show, where John and I are going to be going over the first round of the playoffs wild card weekend. Hell yeah, Colbs. Before we do that, I just want to give a shout out. Colbs is back. His voice, his beautiful voice is back. You might have <laughs> noticed over the past few episodes that Colbs has sounded a little different. Well, it turns out that we both... <laughs> found out that Colbs's computer has a microphone built into it. So it's been picking up on that. So that's why he might have sounded a little different. Yeah, I stopped listening to myself quite a while ago at this point. I've been listening to so much sports radio that I haven't even had time to listen to our own show. I had no idea that I sounded wrong. Hey, it's all good. You're fixed. Here we go. We're going to do the world's fastest sports roundtable episode of, I mean, <laughs> of who's on top of all time. There we go. It's going to be like the idea of that playoffs coming. All right. Bye. Yeah, there you go. I do like that. Because we (laughs) might have to do that. Maybe when the Super Bowl comes. Hey, Super Bowl's here. See you later. All right. Here we go. NBA kicking off with the Eastern Conference. We got the Celtics sitting on top, followed by the Nets, Bucks, Bucks, 76ers, Cavs, Spacers, Knicks, Heat. We're going to the Western Conference. We got the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavs, Kings, Clippers, Suns, Warriors, Colts. That was a fast one there. Here we go. NHL standings, Eastern Conference, Atlantic Division. Bruins are on the top. Bru- That's it. Yeah, there we go. Bruins on top, Metropolitan Division. Hurricanes sitting on top, Western Conference, Central Division. We got the Stars sitting on top, Pacific Division. We got the Golden Knights sitting on top. But shout out to the Seattle Kraken. Even though we're going quick, I have to give them a shout out. Colts. Shifting over to the NFL real quickly, which we're going to be talking a lot about here on this episode, but just highlighting the teams that are into the playoffs. Here we go. The Bills. We got the Dolphins. Chiefs, Chargers, Bengals, Ravens, Jags. We got the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, Niners, Seahawks, which, Colbs, you know I want to talk to you about. Damn you, Colbs. Damn you. NFC North, the Vikings, and NFC South, the Bucks, Colbs. That was a world record, I think, for who's on top. We're going to kick it over I'll, to you. I'll give you the credit. Yeah, you <laughs> did You did it right. I'll give you the credit there, John. Uh, for those in the audience, I told John, let's not even do who's on top this week because I just wanted to get right into everything. John said, no, no, no. I got the quickest one ever. I got the quickest one ever. Said, there all right, go. you better blitz it. He, he blitzed the shit out of it. Good job, John. I'm going to give you all the credit there. Hey, uh, no worries. Although I would like to talk more about uh, whoever the Milwaukee books are. I, I'm oh. very curious. You know what that was? <laughs> I got tongue twisted because I was trying to go way too quick. And I got I got stuck with the Buicks. I don't know why I was thinking about the car. Brand I mean, in all Buick. seriousness, Sue, Milwaukee and Bucks, that's almost a tongue twister to begin with. Like that, mm-hmm. that's a tough one to say if you're trying to do that quickly. Mm-hmm. So I can see where that one happened, buddy. <laughs> So uh, real quick, John, I'll start off here with um, with the end of season power rankings. We'll dive a little bit outside of the top 10 here just to be able to go over some of the teams that aren't quite on this list. And um, 
And then we'll talk a little bit about the end of the season, obviously a little bit of week 18. We're going to talk about the matchups coming up here, which there's a couple really exciting things about these matchups beyond the matchups themselves. And we will go over, uh, well, really what those matchups entail. I'm not going to necessarily give picks the way that we usually would, but we will go over what the annual standings for our picks ended up being for the regular season. So, John, where where do you want me to start today with power rankings? I'll let you decide. You tell me. Well, how many are you going to share with us? Are you sharing your top well, that, 10? That's like what I'm normal? asking you. How many, how many do you want me to share? I figure I'll do more than the top 10. You tell me yes. what number to start with. Okay, here we go. Colbs, I want you to start with your top 16. With Starting at number 16, lean your way up. Okay. We're going to split it in half. All right. Number 16, the Tampa Bay Bucks. So the Bucks obviously did not look anything like we thought they would throughout the entirety of the season. We thought they were going to be incredibly dominant. Tom Brady was second in passing yards in the league. But outside of that, I mean, if you look at his yards per attempt, it's very low cons- or comparative to most of the other top echelon quarterbacks in the NFL. It really has kind of dropped Brady down to a, a tier much far below. When you look at the points scored, Tampa has been really abysmal as far as what the expectation was comparative to what it is that they actually did on the field. And I think going into the playoffs here at eight and nine, I know they didn't need that last game for anything. So you could say, well, maybe they would be nine and eight. Either way, this is a team that's kind of getting into the playoffs with a little bit of a funk. The only thing that you could say is that last game that did matter against Carolina, that looked good. I don't know if we're going to see that again or not, but that that's the only thing that can scare you about this and that it's Tom Brady in the postseason. Yeah, I, I don't want that. I'm telling you, John, I, I know that's got to be terrifying for you right now. Oh, yeah, I'm a little nervous being a Cowboys fan because the Cowboys haven't looked that good recently, especially no. the last game. No. They can't get the offense going. <laughs> and Dak's turning it over now in like six or seven yeah. straight games. Seven straight. Yeah, at least seven one straight pick games. in seven straight games. So that's a little um, concerning. So it, it is. We'll talk a little bit more about that matchup coming up here. Number 15, the Green Bay Packers. They do sneak in over Tampa here. I think that they were playing better football at the end of the season had they started off better. I still don't think they would have been a postseason team because I think if we do the card of if a team was playing better earlier in the year, I we could say the same with Detroit, and I still think Detroit would be in over them. So what, what I would say is that Green Bay has a few things to look forward to as far as uh, a little bit of good youth in the receiving core there. Obviously, the two running back system is phenomenal there. I don't know what you're going to do about Aaron Rodgers. Personally, I wouldn't want him there anymore. I'd want to move on. I don't think that they're in a win-now mode. I don't think they're a championship-contending team next year, so I would try to get young at quarterback and go from there. Uh, But we'll see what they do. I have a feeling that because they don't really know exactly what Jordan Love is yet, they're probably going to be hamstrung and have to keep trotting out Aaron Rodgers as long as he wants to play. But we'll see. Number 14, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, This is contingent to some extent upon if Tua ends up playing or not, because if Tua is not there, this team's not a top 20 team. If Tua is there, they're a a top 10 team. It's very, it was hard to place Miami because I don't know what Miami I'm getting. But when I looked at just the overall view of the season with Tua there, phenomenal team in all seriousness, not kidding. Top 10 team. Obviously they weren't top five. Like I thought they were earlier in the year. They're a team that's not going to beat the majority of the very good teams, even with Tua, but they're going to be competitive with everybody. Without Tua, there's nothing to look at here. I mean, it's bad. 
So we'll see what version of Miami we get against Buffalo this weekend, but they stay at 14. Number 13, the Seattle Seahawks, who they, they come in a little bit a little bit of a rut. I mean, I got to say, after the bye week there, they lost to Vegas. They lost to Carolina. They had two close ones with the Rams. It just didn't look great, but they do find their way into the postseason. Geno Smith had, obviously, a career year for him. But, John, some of the things that you might not even notice about Geno Smith, he was like seventh in passing yards, fourth in passing touchdowns, led the league in completion percentage. I mean, Geno Smith really played at like an elite quarterback level. It was an actual well-deserved Pro Bowl nod for him. When you look at the rest of the team, there's obvious flaws. The secondary, although, I mean, there's a lot of excitement with Tariq Wollin and Kobe Bryant, but they do give up a lot of plays. Quandre Diggs is probably the most stable thing you have in that secondary. Your best defensive player, Jordan Brooks, just went down with a torn MCL. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. So there, there's a lot of opportunity here on the defensive side of the ball for Seattle. But offensively, they at least were able to put together a pretty nice season, although I would have liked to see more of it towards the end of the season. Number 12, the New York Giants, who, look, I think they're a bland team. I, I don't think there's anything really threatening about the Giants, but they played a good season. They were more consistent than the teams that I've listed underneath them. They were more consistent than Miami, Seattle, Green Bay, and Tampa. So you got to give New York the nod there, at least have them be uh, a notch above. But I don't think they're as good as any of the other teams in these playoffs. However, and we're going to talk about this matchup later, this is one that I don't think is necessarily a gimme to Minnesota. Number 11, the Baltimore Ravens, they would be a top 10 team if they had Lamar Jackson. It appears to me that Lamar Jackson is not going to be playing for this team, at least for the rest of this year, maybe ever again. Uh, he hasn't even practiced yet. He's still just, and I don't even know that he's still hurting, not to say that he's intentionally doing this because I don't know, but it sounded like he was supposed to maybe be ready by about Christmas time, and he's still not even practicing. So Baltimore without Lamar Jackson, not a top 10 team. Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, top 10 team. Number 10, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who even though I do think that Baltimore and Miami are better than with their starting quarterbacks, look, I don't think they're going to have their starting quarterbacks. Jacksonville does, and Trevor Lawrence has proven this year. I do think he's yeah. now a top 10 quarterback in the league. Started out Ooh. very inconsistent, but he has made his way there. John, it's Surprise, funny, and we're going to do that. this somewhere in the offseason. I'll go over my top 50 quarterbacks in the NFL. All right. There's a real drop-off after about five. It really, like, <laughs> you you get from five, and then I had Lamar Jackson at six, spoiler alert. And then after that, I'm like, ah. Uh, Where do you got Russ? <laughs> I want to say somewhere around 20th. It was like 19th wow. or something like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. I, I don't have the list with me. And also, it was a working list. I wasn't set in stone about it. But um, anyway, Jacksonville, they do get into the playoffs here with a lot of momentum. I think that there's something to take away from that. But I, I mean, honestly, if I'm talking about the least scary teams in the playoffs, I'd say it's probably Tampa and Jacksonville. Granted, Tampa has Tom Brady, so I'm probably more scared of them. So we'll we'll see what uh, what the Jags do here. Interesting game coming up this weekend. We'll talk more about nine, the Minnesota Vikings, who are probably the worst 13 win team ever in the history of the NFL. Uh, 11 of their 13 wins came via one possession games, which is unheard of. They were 11 and 0 in one possession games, which you never get in the NFL. Uh, Seattle had a year like that a couple years back. 
but I think it was only like seven or eight one possession wins. I mean, this is not a championship team as far as I'm concerned, but it is a team that you have to worry about. I don't think that they're going to be necessarily representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, but they are a formidable opponent for anybody. Number eight, the Detroit Lions. I don't care that they didn't make it. They end the season eight and two. They had a random loss to Carolina. Their other loss was to Buffalo. Fucking Buffalo. I mean, Detroit, they, this is a good football team, man. I, like, I wish they could have gotten this shit turned around earlier. The only downfall with that is it would have meant Seattle would have then not made the playoffs. But, hey, I mean, Detroit next year, as far as I'm concerned, I'm already picking them to be a playoff team. And I hear that their offensive coordinator is going to be moving on and probably taking a head coaching job. So that might make their right. offense a little bit worse. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Jared Goff looks pretty good to me. Amon Ross St. Brown ain't going to change via the coordinator. I think that they got a real thing there. Number seven, the Los Angeles Chargers, who finally got all their shit figured out. I don't know why they were starting all their starters in the third quarter last game. I'm glad that nobody ended up getting hurt, but now they are actually healthy going into the playoffs. You think about the Chargers, John, typically speaking, Justin Herbert's not really showing a lot of problems with injuries. Neither is Austin Eckler. But you think of the other key players on that team. Keenan Allen, often hurt. Mike Williams, often hurt. Derwin James, often hurt. Joey Bosa, often hurt. Khalil Mack even has struggled with some injuries here and there. All those guys are healthy going into the playoffs. I think the Chargers are at their best going into the playoffs. I don't know what that means because, you know, the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Bills are all out there. But the Chargers are a formidable opponent for everybody. And, I I mean, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world to see those guys representing the AFC in the Super Bowl, although I don't see it happening. Number six, the Dallas Cowboys coming in sputtering a little bit, but, you know, they did win 12 games this season. Uh, Obviously, the running game worked out very well for them with the two-back system. By the way, John, as I looked at the stats to just further prove Tony Pollard should be the number one starter, uh, more yards, less carries, much better average, and more touch or less touchdowns than Ezekiel Elliott, but... That's because they like pounding the ball at the one with Zeke because Zeke is a little bit stronger. Let's be honest. That is the one advantage he has. But if you look at the yards per carry average, Tony Pollard, 5.2 yards per carry. Ezekiel Elliott, 3.8. That should pretty much be all you need to see right there, John. That's why I don't like James Conner. He's basically what Ezekiel was this year. Number five, John, the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, Brock Purdy has like the highest quarterback rating of anybody that's played over the last five weeks, but I still won't trust that going into the postseason. So I can't have them over the teams that I feel have better quarterback play. But the Niners do have, and a lot of people say the best roster in the league. I don't agree with overall the best roster. I agree with the best defense in the league, by far the best defensive roster. But you look at that offense, I mean, Debo Samuel's good. He's not phenomenal. He's not great. He's not, you know, Justin Jefferson. He's nothing like that, but he's good. He's very good. He's somewhere along the lines of maybe like Terry McLaurin. He's he's pretty good. Brandon Ayuk, uh, he's basically Gabe Davis. I mean, it's it's not it's not really that much different. George Kittle, yeah, he's he's good, but we don't get to see all the George Kittle things we used to see. He's a great red zone target at this point, but he's not the guy that takes the ball and runs over six defenders on his way to the end zone anymore. That's just not him anymore. Christian McCaffrey's great. I'll give that. That's about it. So San Francisco, I just don't trust that that offense is going to be able to produce enough to beat, especially the AFC teams, but they could make it out of the NFC legitimately. Number four, the Buffalo Bills. 
I think out of the three teams that I trust most there with Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Buffalo, I trust Buffalo the least. And it's because Josh Allen can be random, especially in close late games, which you're probably going to end up in. But they have so much firepower. And by firepower, I just mean Josh Allen's arm. I mean, he can launch that shit 60 yards downfield to somebody right on the dime. And oftentimes it's Stefan Diggs. I mean, that that's a hookup. That's for real. You have to worry about that. Uh, Buffalo's defense, by the way, probably a little bit criminally underrated this year. They are one of the top defenses in the NFL, so that's something else to worry about when you're playing against Buffalo. However, they don't really run the ball very well. Josh Allen, once again, is pretty much their rushing offense. So we'll see if that ends up being any hindrance come the uh, cold-weather postseason games. Number three, the Philadelphia Eagles, who although have run the ball incredibly well, I like it best when they throw the ball downfield. That is the best version of the Eagles because now they can do two things instead of one to you. And that's the kind of Eagles that you need to see in the postseason here. They obviously almost give up a game that they needed last week to the Giants and Davis Webb. I mean, <laughs> Davis Webb got within six points in the fourth quarter of the Eagles. They should have been putting that game away a long time beforehand, and it looked like they were, and then they almost gave it up. I I don't feel great about the Eagles going into the postseason, which is why a lot of people right now are picking San Fran. But Philly has been the best team in the NFC all year. We'll see what that does in the postseason. Number two, the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, when it comes down to one and two, let me just put it this way. Number one, Kansas City Chiefs. They're better than you, and they have the best quarterback in the NFL. Number two, the Cincinnati Bengals. Potentially the second best quarterback in the NFL. If not Josh Allen, it's Joe Burrow. It's it's one of the two of them, and when, when you look at what Joe Burrow doesn't do, well, he doesn't have the turnovers that Josh Allen does, and that's what I think the difference is as far as these teams, and additionally, Cincinnati not only has a run game with Joe Mixon that Buffalo doesn't with David or uh, Devin Singletary, but they also have more than one receiver, Stephon Diggs, and then it drops down to a Gabe Davis. Over in Cincinnati, you're talking about Jamar Chase, and then you have T. Higgins, and then you have Tyler Boyd. Like that, that's a big difference maker when you have all those different weapons. That's why Buffalo was out there in a little bit of like the uh, Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes because they need another target for Josh Allen. Because Gabe Davis, don't get me wrong, he's good, but he's it, it, you need something else. And Dawson Knox is a good tight end, but he's not, he's not like, um, it's not like having Kelsey or Mark Andrews or one of these like dominant tight ends like you know the Chiefs have. And that's the odd thing. By the way, Patrick Mahomes, MVP, 100%. This dude lost Tyreek Hill. His receiving core, John, it's a mixture of Juju Smith-Schuster, McCole Hartman, it's uh, Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, and then obviously his freakish tight end, Travis Kelsey. But I mean... He's got these almost random dudes put together McKinnon a receiver. Is the big one? I yeah, know he's yeah, back running still. back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jared he's the big McKinnon. One. And the the funny thing is, John is he he uses all these kind of average guys to even some of what like I didn't even mention Valdez Scantling. It, he's another one that's just like ah, he's a guy, he's a body, but there's nothing really incredible or impressive about him. And when when you look at this, Patrick Mahomes. Led the league in passing yards, passing touchdowns. They had the NFL's best offense. It's because of Patrick Mahomes. That's why I trust this team more than everybody else. I don't give a shit if you don't buy it or if you don't believe me. I'm just telling you, this guy is better than everybody else by such an extent that I think it makes this whole team better because that offense should not be this good. 
Patrick Mahomes is this good. This is like when Tom Brady was throwing it to Doug Gabriel in 2006. Like, it makes no sense why this is so good. John, that's our power rankings. We're going to move over. Now, John, actually, I'll tell you what. Do you want to go over what the picks ended up being first, or do we want to start talking about the matchups first, and then we'll slide picks in at the end? Let's slide picks into the end, because I think everybody's curious what that's going to look like. And I think it leads up nicely for the playoffs. So if you're looking at making some money, go ahead, take take Coles' picks. But maybe oh. consider mine because I started coming back in that Yahoo well, pick See, John, I'm not necessarily giving picks to the, all the playoff games because, for example, I don't know who's playing quarterback for Baltimore. I don't know who's playing quarterback Good for Miami. I, I'm not giving out necessarily all the picks for everybody here. And Good I don't point. count playoff picks anyway because oftentimes I don't even put money on the playoffs because I just want to sit down and enjoy the game. And I honestly don't really know who's going to do what a lot of times in the postseason. So I don't have that necessarily down as a thing, but I do have notes on all the matchups, John. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, John. So one of the most interesting things about this wild card weekend is in all six of the matchups, these teams have all already played each other at least one time this year. So we look at these matchups. Seattle, San Francisco, they played each other twice. They play in the same division. San Francisco won both those games. One in week two, which, by the way, you're welcome, San Francisco. We're the ones that hurt Trey Lance. So we got you out of the Trey Lance business. You're uh, you're welcome. And uh, and then again, in week 15, we played San Francisco. They beat us that time, 21-13. If you look statistically, there was a massive improvement between the game in week two and the game in week 15. Seattle across the board, better at first downs, third down conversions, total yardage, passing yardage, turnovers, penalties, everything improved, but they still lost. And that one was in Seattle. And this one's going to be in San Francisco and Brock Purdy. You know, I don't know exactly what he is, but he's been playing incredibly well. Seattle has been really in a slump coming into this. I mean, obviously they look pretty good against the Jets, but I mean, that, that was about it. I don't feel great about their chances. I will tell you that the spread on this game is 10 in favor of San Francisco. Wow. It's a pretty big spread. And even though San Francisco has been wiping the floor with a lot of teams, I I still feel like Seattle keeps it to within 10. I don't know necessarily that it's going to be. I don't know that it will feel like a one score game, but I don't know that it's necessarily not going to be a one score game. So. Here's my thing. If San Francisco, we know they got such a great defense. If they shut down Kenny Walker, oof, we've seen what that looks like. That pretty much kills Seattle's chances to me well, it's, personally. It's, and it's funny that you mentioned that, John, because coming into this, coming out of the regular season, San Francisco has the 21st ranked pass defense in the league. So they do give up a lot through the air, but they are okay. second in the league in run defense. So that is very uh, non-optimistic for me. Additionally, Seattle really only has the 18th best rushing offense in the league, even with Kenneth Walker having a thousand yards this year. So I don't feel particularly great about us being able to get the run game going. Our offensive line is significantly better than it has been, but it's still not like an elite offensive line. San Francisco's defensive line is elite. They don't even blitz. They don't have to. (laughs) Nick Bose is already in your backfield somewhere. So mm-hmm. it, it's a problem, and I, I don't know what Seattle's best mode to get away from that is. I, I think, honestly, I'd like to see a lot of quick passes 
uh, a lot of slant routes, a lot of out routes, a lot of a lot of flat routes, just things that get the ball out and get positive yards quickly. I think that's probably their best opportunity to get any success against this team. And you utilize that to open up your run game, and then you utilize your run game to open up a deeper passing game. I think it's the only shot that you have, but obviously I'm not in that room. I don't know what Seattle's game plan is going to be. As far, as far as I know, they might just try to beat it down San Fran's throat and just hope that San Fran can't score. But you tried that in week 15, and George Kittle ended up with two touchdowns in the first half. So, And that's the other problem, John, is that defensively, even though I don't feel that San Francisco has the greatest weapons from a passing perspective, I told you this already. Seattle secondary gives up a lot, and that's that's one of those where I, I'm a little bit worried about that. Seattle's rush defense, by the way, is ranked 30th in the league. So I got a feeling that Christian McCaffrey, as long as he can stay healthy throughout this, which you know was my worry in week 15, but he did. Uh, Christian McCaffrey will probably have a field day on us as well. And also Elijah Mitchell's back in that lineup. I saw him yeah, score touchdowns last week. I'm like, oh shit, you, you got ready just in time to crush us, huh? So, I mean, San Fran has every advantage here. They do. I, there's really not the only thing that we're better at is passing offense. Um, and oh, and oddly sacks. We have more sacks than San Fran. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I guess Nick Bosa got all of them because he got 18 and a half. So, that uh that that's really the only two categories Seattle's better than San Francisco in. I I don't see any reason that San Fran won't win this game, but I do think Seattle keeps it relatively close just because a it's a division rival. This is the third time they're meeting, and I mean frankly I still don't trust San Francisco when it comes to just hey they're gonna smoke everybody. I just don't see it. So that's what I got for that game, John. I I don't know if you got anything that you want to add there. No, it's just funny how you were kind of talking about Brock Purdy, and uh, I don't know. He's been doing pretty good. We're going to see how it goes. Two quarterbacks that the NFL did not envision having even be relevant, which is a weird term to use because I guess Brock Purdy is called Mr. Relevant. But anyways, two (laughs) quarterbacks that weren't even planned to be in relevant, especially for the playoff pitcher, Uh, even as starting quarterbacks really for this season. You know, if you told people going into the season, one of the playoff matchups will be Brock Purdy versus Geno Smith. Everybody would have said, oh, shit, everybody's hurt. They wouldn't have realized. I mean, granted, Brock Purdy is in here because Jimmy is hurt, but I mean, (laughs) yeah, he is. He's playing well and he he might, depending on how this all goes, he might end up getting a chance to do something with this. And Geno Smith, obviously, I mean, he made the fucking Pro Bowl. I mean, (laughs) nobody saw that coming. That so, gets me excited. So shifting over here to the next NFL wildcard round game yes. on Saturday night, Coves, the Chargers versus the Jags. I am so curious what you have to say about this game, because let me just put this in your ear first. Uh, I think the Jags are going to pull it off. I really I know do. You do. A lot of people do, John. This yeah. game was actually set as a uh, as a pick so ah. the, this spread was even. It has since moved. I did already take the spread on this one uh, at a pick because I knew which way it was going to move. It has now moved to Los Angeles by one and a half. Wow. But I grabbed it when it was at a pick because I think the Chargers win, and I wanted it as low as that spread was going to be. Now, John, this isn't one where I'm incredibly convinced, as I am throughout the course of the regular season. I do think the Jags are the weakest team in the AFC by a pretty large margin. And I do think that with uh, 
Los Angeles coming in here healthy. I think that their roster is so much better than Jacksonville's that that's your difference maker. Um, But when we look at this in all seriousness, Jacksonville has come in here with a lot of momentum, although they damn near lost to the Titans without uh, with Josh Dobbs. Uh, That was that was really sad to watch. That game was actually pretty terrible. But beyond that, going into that game, Jacksonville had been looking good for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So we we look at some of the things here uh, as far as just general rankings go. Uh, Both these teams had really a lot of struggles on defense and a lot of positives on offense. I will say that the uh, the Chargers did get five more sacks. They are even as far as turnover margin goes, which are kind of two things that I thought I was going to see a little bit differently here. I thought those were going to lean heavier in favor of the Chargers, but they don't. But but you take a look. I mean, offensively, total offense, the Chargers ninth, Jacksonville 10th. Total defense, Chargers 20th, Jacksonville 24th. Like they're they're both relatively similarly built teams with two top 10 quarterbacks. I I think a big difference here is the threat of really what the Chargers weapons are in comparison to the Jags, because even though Etienne had a very good season. I he's not Austin Eckler, even though guys like Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Marvin Jones, they're fine. It's not Keenan Allen. It's not Michael or it's not Mike Williams. You're missing the main one right there. Mr. Evan Ingram coming in on the season. Colbs, hear me out with 73 receptions, almost 100 targets, 766 yards amazing season for Evan Ingram. I know that's funny to say out loud too, but he came out of nowhere for Jacksonville and him and Lawrence, they clicked so damn well. So he's actually one of the main targets over there. Well, no, I mean, oftentimes your tight end is going to be a a pretty upper echelon reception target. And I actually, I have the, the leading stat leaders for every team here in front of me. And it honestly with Jacksonville, I mean, they don't have a thousand yard receiver, which is not great. Now, granted, neither does uh, the Chargers, but that's because the receivers were hurt all year. Uh, Keenan Allen missed like 10 weeks. Mike Williams missed like seven or eight weeks. Those guys are thousand yard guys. Jacksonville had, I I believe Christian Kirk came right around that mark. I think he might've just gotten over a thousand now that I think about it, but I yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had about 1,100 yards or something like that. Actually, so Christian Kirk got there, but I I just don't see where Jacksonville is going to get out all this production against a Charger defense that's now healthy, and you have Derwin James like a heat-seeking missile in that backfield. You're right. Yeah, Christian Kirk coming over just a little over 1,100 uh, receiving yards with 84 receptions, eight touchdowns on the season. So. Pretty good season for Christian Kirk coming in there for Jacksonville. He was always a third uh, 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 wide receiver three, always out of the slot position, it seems. So right now he's like the main go-to guy in Jacksonville. So Yeah, yeah. it's not a bad year for him. Statistically, it looks very good. I still think he's probably a better number two receiver for you to have, but that's basically uh, – that's more so based on his talent level. Obviously, with a guy like Trevor Lawrence with nobody better to throw it to, Christian Kirk going to have statistically a good year there. And that's really the big takeaway is that Trevor Lawrence has really got it figured out here. And that's going to be the part we're moving forward after this year. Now you start looking at Jacksonville like, oh, shit, okay, if they can build around that because they got the guy there. 
If they can get a true number one receiver there, they can add a few guys on defense. And granted, I do want to make mention, they have a linebacker who I, I had never heard of before. Had over 180 tackles this season. That is incredible. That's got to be close to the league lead if it's not the league lead. So that that's phenomenal. And they they clearly have something to go off of there. Neither one of these teams has a whole lot as far as sacks go. So I think both teams are probably going to look to do something as far as edge rushing in the offseason, which I know is a little bit funny for the Chargers because Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa are there. But you look at Jacksonville, they don't have a guy that really gets after the quarterback, yet they they still were able to make a lot of stuff happen here. So I, I think that if they can shore up that defense and get Trevor Lawrence one more guy, I really think that's a legitimate playoff team next year, not not just a team that sneaks out with the AFC South. Absolutely. All right, John, we got our next game here, Miami at Buffalo. So this comes with the caveat of that Buffalo um, or Miami rather likely will be without Tua. The spread on this is Buffalo by nine and a half. Uh, if Tua plays, I think it's closer. If it if Tua doesn't play, I think Buffalo kills them by like thirty. I that's that's really the difference. I don't think the Teddy Bridgewater makes that much of a difference. I don't think Skylar Thompson does anything. I have Mike Glennon. Nobody's scared of the neck. I I don't. I don't really think that there's anything to take away from Miami there if two is not there to make you think that anything in this game is going to be close. Uh, I think Buffalo would just absolutely walk away with this, John. And, you know, it's funny when you look at Buffalo, when you look at them statistically, they're towards the top of the league in like everything. It's incredible that uh, just going through it, passing offense, seventh rushing offense, which by the way, was Josh Allen also seventh uh, <laughs> scoring offense, second total offense, second uh, defensively rush defense, fifth total defense, sixth scoring defense, second, like they they've been incredible across the board. I don't see any flaws in Buffalo's game outside of the Josh Allen's probably going to fuck up somewhere down the, down the line when they're playing against a Joe Burrow or a Patrick Mahomes. It ain't going to be against the Dolphins, though, especially without Tua. If Tua's there, I think this is a close game. I think this is a one-score game because Tua does make that much of a difference in Miami. And they played twice this year, John, as I told you. Every one of these teams played. And by the way, I didn't mention that with Jacksonville and the Chargers. They played in week three. Jacksonville won 38-10. to 10. But again, that's week three. <laughs> There, there was, by the way, no Keenan Allen or Mike Williams in that game. So we'll we'll see what the difference is there. But as far as this, uh, these two teams are concerned, Miami won in uh, week four, 21 to 19. And then Buffalo won in, I want to say, week 16, 32 to 29. Uh, weather was a big factor in both these games. In Miami, that game was played at like 115 degrees. And then in Buffalo, it... Well, it didn't really start snowing till the fourth quarter, but it was cold as shit and windy and snowy and all sorts of stuff towards the end of that game. So this game is supposed to be clear conditions, but still in the 20s. Miami doesn't travel well to the 20s. I can tell you that as a former Floridian, I still don't travel well in the 20s. So I I got a feeling here that Buffalo, oh, I'm not a feeling. I have everything in front of me to prove to me. Buffalo is probably going to smoke Miami if two is not there. Hey. Fair enough. Going over to the Giants and Vikings game. Yes, uh, Giants-Vikings, they played each other just a few weeks ago. Minnesota won that game 27-24. to 24. Uh, This game's going to be close. Uh, there's no way around that because neither one of these teams is 
a blow you out team. They're, these are not teams that dominate you all game and end up winning the game 48 to 16. That's not going to happen. We're going to see a close game, which you would think benefits Minnesota because they're 11 and 0 in one score games. However, um, you don't typically go 11 and 0 in one score games. So they're bound to lose one of these one score games. I could see that happening against the Giants, who really, I mean, if it wasn't, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a 58 yard field goal or a 60-yard field goal or something like that that Minnesota won that game on as time expired. So I I wouldn't be shocked to see the Giants win this one. I still lean towards Minnesota because I do think they're the better team and they are at home. But this one's not a gimme by any means. I would not touch this game with money. Uh, I, I can't even imagine. I don't know who's going to win this. Something's telling me the Giants are going to pull this one off because when, when the Vikings look bad, they look bad. If yeah. they shut down Justin Jefferson, there's almost no chance of moving that offense. But you catch him on a good day, the Giants won't stand a chance. I guess that's with any team. But the I Vikings don't think there's so such a thing as I don't. I don't think there's such a thing as shutting down Justin Jefferson. I mean, he, he broke records this year for Minnesota history, meaning he beat records of Chris Carter and Randy Moss. So I, I'm not. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, there's been a couple of games this season when he has been completely shut down. And the only reason why I know that is because I had him on my fantasy team. Week the 18. only time that he looked even relatively shut down was that recent game against Green Bay. That was more so on Kirk Cousins than it was on anything to do with shutting him down. There is no shutting down receivers as good as Justin Jefferson. You can just get inside Kirk Cousins' head. But Fair enough. it is funny, John. You look at the way these teams play. They're polar opposites. Uh, Minnesota is sixth ranked, uh, passing offense, but 28th ranked rushing offense, the giants, 26th ranked passing offense and fourth ranked rushing offense, because, you know, they don't have much of a quarterback, but they do have Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones can run the ball. So that's where they get the majority of their offense from. So they, they play polar opposites. So you start looking at the matchups there. The funny thing is, is Minnesota's defense is terrible. And their passing defense is the second worst in the league. I just don't think the Giants will be able to capitalize on that. So it really leaves you to like, well, what? Who does what? I I honestly don't know, and I'm not going to know until I see it on uh, Sunday. Going over to our next game there, which is our Sunday night game: the Ravens versus the Bengals. What are you thinking over here, Colbs? I'm thinking the Bengals going to wipe the floor with them. The, the the Ravens haven't even had their quarterback. For the past, what, five, six games, five, six weeks? No, this one we can kind of breeze through, John. This one, the Bengals are favored by six and a half, and I think that's probably just because Baltimore's defense is so good that it's probably going to hold Cincinnati to not scoring a lot. These teams just played last week, and honestly, I think it's probably going to look pretty similar when we look at it this week. It's in Cincinnati. It's the first playoff game of the year for both teams, obviously, and I I just, without Lamar Jackson, what the hell are the Ravens going to do? So, yeah, I would say take Cincinnati here. I, I don't know that I would say necessarily to take them on the spread because it is a divisional matchup. Again, these two teams played each other twice. Uh, Baltimore won earlier in the season when Cincinnati wasn't playing at their best. And then, obviously, they just played last week. Cincinnati beat them 27-16. to 16. And that's probably more indicative of what we'll see because, well, there's still no Lamar Jackson. So our final game, John, we've got the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Bucs. 
Yes. This Ooh. one's a weird one, John. It is I'm the Cowboys nervous. by two and a half as far as the spread goes, which, you know, typically speaking, you give the home team three points if the teams are even. So this is basically telling you that on a neutral field, the Cowboys are about five and a half points better than the box. In theory, by the way, these teams have played this year, the Cowboys should be heavier favorites. But you look at the way that Dallas ended their season, and then a lot of people started going, wait a minute. Who's that? Who's that guy for the Bucks? Oh, oh, and I, I'll be honest with you, John. Everything points towards Dallas. There's not one thing on this sheet of paper I have in front of me that makes you say say to yourself that Tampa's going to win this game outside of that Tom Brady pass for the second most yards in the NFL. Like that. That's it. Outside of that, this is entirely a Dallas thing, and I still don't know that I would pick them. Like I, all in all, if you're asking me who I think wins, I'm saying Dallas, but I am not confident in that. I'm just not. It's Tom, it's Tom fucking Brady. And then it's the Cowboys. And I'm sorry, John, but your team does this so often where they look good in the regular season, then playoffs come and Tony Romo bobbles the the snap on the field goal to win the game or Dak slides down and there's no timeouts and you don't get to clock the ball. And it's, it's just the Cowboys, man. It's what, it's what they do. And I, I hate it. I hate it for you, but it's what they do. And Tom Brady doesn't do any of those things. He becomes a I fucking w- assassin. I will say if there's one team that beats the Cowboys, I'd want it to be the bucks just to see Tom Brady go the distance. So, oh, and believe me, if Tom Brady wins this you know, game, everybody needs to start shitting themselves because that team's they're they're not just going out. If they win this one, that that means right off that eight and nine <laughs> record, this team's here to fucking play. I, I'm terrified of Tampa if I'm anybody that has to face them. Luckily, Seattle wouldn't have to unless they somehow meet in the NFC Championship game. At which point, I would still be just shitting myself. It's going to be a good one, man. Let's transition over here to. Uh, are we going to cover how we did with the picks to close out? Oh, before we. Close yeah, you know episode? what? I, I can do that real quick. I had actually forgotten about it, but I've got them right here, John. So here is how we ended the season, John. For me personally, um, I finished the season with win loss at 178, 91, and two, which is at a uh, 66.17% clip. So if you were uh, betting my money lines this uh, this year, you would have won a shitload of money. Spread, I went 135, 127, and 9, 51.53%. So we'll take it. It's over 500. Uh, over-unders, we were 154, 115, and 2, which has us at 57.25%. Now for the, for the actual money picks that we give out every week, John, I finished the year three and two, which for the year makes me 50, 38, and one, has me at 56.82%. John, you went one and four in the last week, which for the year had you at 41, 47, and one, 46.59%. And Sparky the Coin went three and two, but that still only brings him to 38, 50, and one, having him at a 44.32% for the year. Damn it. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of had this one the entirety of the year. This one was maybe a little bit less interesting than it usually is for us because it's usually a little bit closer, a little more back and forth. But, hey, that's why we got next year, buddy. That's it. That's it. And in our Pick'em League, I ended up 
sucking yes. so bad at the beginning of the year, but I ended up coming back strong. I don't know if you took a look third. at it. I finished yeah. out in third place. Yep. I came back from last. And so. uh, for the audience, just to give some perspective, I did win this and I came in first by 10 games. I beat John by 15 games. But John, if you remember, maybe about six weeks ago, I was up on you 21 games. So that means you gained ground even on me over the last maybe six weeks or so. I started getting hot picks right there. I just came back a little too late. Colbs, talking about a little too late. Why don't we go ahead here, close out the Sports Roundtable episode. We got Hector from Breaking on the Tape waiting to join us for the Jack and Can show. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it, buddy.